approach the end of 2009 here, just a few days, uh, we want to focus our attention on enduring everlasting love. Um, you know, as you, as you uh, get out into the culture, one of the things that you see is that lots and lots and lots of songs uh, and poems and pieces of artwork and all, all and lots of cultural expressions are devoted to this idea of everlasting love, right? I mean, how many of you have one of these on your hand, right? Uh, that that left-handed ring. Um, what? Why? Why do you do that? Well, because it's a symbol. It's it's endless. It's a circle, right? And it's made of gold, and so it's precious. And it's a symbol of everlasting, eternal love. And yet, of course, for about one in three people in our culture who put on one of those left-handed rings, uh, everlasting love turns out to last not all that long, right? Uh, there are about one in three people who get married eventually get divorced in America. And they, they kind of make a mockery of their vows that way. That here we promise before God and these witnesses to endlessly love, and yet we didn't, right? And, of course, lots of others have written all kinds of love letters to people they don't even any longer know, <laughs> right? I've done that. I bet some of the rest of you men have done that. Uh, some of you ladies probably, too, declared your undying affection and fidelity to someone that not, you're not even friends with anymore, <laughs> right? Um, and yet endless love, real love that lasts forever is something that all of us need and desire deeply. And that's why you have all these, all these things in our culture and all of this talk, uh, as well as, you know, of course, in the best, in the best marriages and in the best uh, homes, there is an approximation, at least, of endless, faithful, uh, ongoing love and care for one another, right? Um, my bride and I are going to celebrate uh, 14 years here pretty soon. And, you know, it's not all been uh, quite happily ever after, like the fairy tales, but it's been pretty great. And a lot of you can share similar stories, right? But there is a love that is perfect, and that does last forever, that even goes better than human love beyond death, that goes uh, on not only from your point of your birth, but on into forever. And that's the love of God that he has for his people. And we as his people uh, want to look at and contemplate and think about and um, be awestruck by God's everlasting love that is perfect and holy and right, and that really does endure forever. And so the best place to look at that uh, is Psalm chapter 136. Uh, and this, this psalm is the psalm from which the words of the song we just sang are, are, are drawn, okay? And, at, and every line in this psalm ends the same way. His love endures forever. Because the psalmist knows that, that a lot of us have a tendency to forget uh, things that God is telling us. And so this, we, get, we get 26 reminders 
in 26 verses that God's love endures forever. Okay, so let's read it together. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, his love endures forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens, his love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters, his love endures forever. Who made the great lights, his love endures forever. The sun to govern the day, his love endures forever. The moon and the stars to govern the night, his love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, his love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, his love endures forever. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm, his love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder, his love endures forever. And brought Israel through the midst of it, his love endures forever. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea, his love endures forever. To him who led his people through the desert, his love endures forever. Who struck down great kings, his love endures forever. And killed mighty kings, his love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, his love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, his love endures forever. And gave their land as an inheritance, his love endures forever. An inheritance to his servant Israel, his love endures forever. To the one who remembered us in our, in our low estate, his love endures forever. And freed us from our enemies, his love endures forever. And who gives food to every creature, his love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, his love endures forever. Now that word, that's, that's, that word love that we have there in English uh, is based on a Hebrew word that's a special word. It's, it's really untranslatable properly into English, but it's the Hebrew word hasid. And you have to kind of get a, it's a there's a guttural H that it starts with, and I can't really do it right. I'm not German, but um, uh, but it's the word that means steadfast love, faithful love, loyal love, covenant faithful love. It's this. It, it, there's the, it's one of these words that's hard to get all the adjectives in there uh, the right way. To describe God's unique, special, covenant, faithful, loyal, steadfast, um, true to his word, love for his people. And God has made a covenant with his people Israel. And by the way, I don't know if you know this, he has made a covenant with us too. And the same love that God has demonstrated here to Israel, he is also demonstrating and demonstrates to us his steadfast, faithful, covenant love to his people, Israel, uh, is what's in view here. And so if you look at it, um, it starts off, the first three verses, with a, with a general call to the nation. And you need to picture this psalm as taking place in a worship context. Uh, in, in ancient Israel, as today, when people gather together for worship, they would sing songs, and part of the songs that they sang are here recorded for us in Psalms. 
And what you had, uh, probably, according to most commentators, is a choir over here and a choir over here. And one would sing the verse and the other the refrain. His love endures forever. To him who divided the waters of the Red Sea, his love endures forever. And, you know, and back and forth. Okay? And it's, and it's of course, uh, three times a year the people of Israel were required to all gather together. So it's not, it's not, a, it's not a few dozen people. It's, a, it's not even a few thousand people. It's a couple hundred thousand people that are all singing. Now, some of you men who have been to Promise Keepers or some of you ladies who have been to like a Beth Moore conference or something like this, when you get a few thousand people singing, I mean, it shakes the place, right? Well, try to imagine that, that you've got this group of people singing about the faithfulness of God over here as demonstrated in history, and these people saying, His love endures forever, and it's shouting. And the place is just shaking where they're standing. This would have been an awesome thing to experience. I think that we will sing this psalm uh, when, we get to, when we get to the presence of God and we stand before him in the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, and I think it will be an awesome deal because it will be millions and even billions of people then who will all be singing. And that will be super cool. I can't sing now, but I'm staking a lot of uh, hope on that verse that, where Jesus says, in heaven the last shall be first. <laughs> so I get to be toward the head of the line at least, <laughs> okay? Um, and, we, and they're shouting about this, the faithfulness and love for, that God has for them. So try to imagine that, okay? Uh, his love endures forever. Now... The Israelites, one of the things that I think, and I, I mentioned this earlier, that the reason this psalm is structured like it is is not just the, the singing part, but because there's continual reminders of the faithfulness and love of God written to his people that are interwoven into the text. So that, Because one of the things that the prophets always tell the people of Israel is you need to remember that God was faithful. Remember that God was faithful here. Remember that he was faithful here. Remember that he was faithful then. Remember that he was faithful then. So that when you're up against a new circumstance, what? That you don't forget that God has been faithful to you all this time. And we need reminders too that God is continually faithfully loving us. And so it's interwoven every other verse. God is faithful. His steadfast love remains forever. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. A um, couple other things to notice here in these first three verses as you look at them. Uh, there are three different names for God that are given there. Uh, the first one, give thanks to the Lord. If your Bible is like mine, that's in all capital letters, uh, the first one larger than the next three. Uh, and that's to indicate to you that that is, is um, the English translation there is the Hebrew is representing the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is God's covenant name, the name by which he revealed himself to Moses and by which he revealed himself to the people. When, he, when they came before him on Sinai, he said, I am the Lord, Yahweh, your God. 
you shall have no other gods before me. Then he says, verse 2, to give thanks to the Eloheinu of the Elohim. The Elohim are the, the, um, the mighty ones, is what it means, okay? And the, the God above the gods is what he's what it's saying. So in other words, there are all kinds of other spiritual beings in the universe. You know, we would call them angels and demons, and God reigns supreme above all of those. That there is nobody above the God who has established his covenant love with you. And then and then you have the Lord of Lords, the Adon the uh the Adonai of the Adonaiim. Okay, that I am is plural. He is the, the supreme ruler over everybody that might claim authority. He is the supreme one. He is not only the one that established a covenant with you, he is supreme over all of the spiritual beings, verse 2. He's also supreme over all of the temporal beings, all of the lords, if you will. All the people, you know, this is... Uh, aristocratic monarchical society and there are all kinds of people that you have to address as my lord or my lady or whatever okay baron so-and-so you know whatever um god says no i am supreme over all these authorities so whether you like the political situation in your world or not guess what you have an ultimate court of appeal you have the living God who loves you. And this God, even though he is supreme, even though he is the covenant maker, even though he is the ruler over all of the other spiritual beings, even though he is the ruler over all of the kings that have ever been or ever will be, this God is the same one who loves you. And who will, because it's his steadfast love, who will continue loving you and me all the way through whatever circumstances we go into. Right, uh, And the reason, and this is the other thing I want to be sure that we don't miss, okay? Look at the end of verse 1. Why does God do this? Because he is good. Now, that, that word good maybe doesn't mean a whole lot to you, you know? I mean, we use the word good to talk about a whole lot of things. This is good chocolate. Uh, that was a good Christmas. Uh, this is a good candle, whatever that means. To me, they always smell like crayons on fire. But, <laughs> but you know, like, so Karen, what scent is that? Oh, that's, that's winterberry, huh? Smells like white crayon to me. But <laughs> anyway, um, uh, we use that word good. But what, what it means here with when it comes to God is that because he is loving, he has your best interest in mind. And that in spite of all of his vast power and all of his incredible authority, his love endures forever because he is good. And one of the best illustrations of this I've ever seen is out of a kid's book, uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I don't know how many of you have read it or, or seen the movie because the movie's out now too, but... Great story, and Aslan, the lion, represents Christ in these stories. 
because, of course, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? And the, these children, by magic, wind up in this, they pass through a wardrobe and they wind up in this world where there are talking animals and the king of all of the animals is Aslan, the lion. And Aslan has not been seen for a hundred years and the white witch rules and it's always winter and Christmas never comes. Now try to imagine that, a hundred years of that <laughs> and no Christmas, all right? <laughs> Uh, and Aslan is, they're talking with the beavers, the kids are talking with, with uh, the beavers who, who have taken them in about Aslan, the king. And, and they say, so tell me about the lion, you know, is he quite safe? And they go, well, no, he's not safe. Of course he's not safe, but he's good. And he's the king. In other words, Never forget that you are dealing with a powerful being here. A being who reigns and rules over everything, who is not, therefore, safe. This is not the cosmic marshmallow deity. This is the God of heaven. But he's good. And he loves you. And so we give him thanks and praise, right? Uh, let's move on here. This is exciting stuff. I love this. I love this, this, this book and this passage. It's great. Um, in verses 4 to 25, what, what the psalmist is going to do is he's going to recount the whole history of the nation of Israel up to this point. And I believe that this, this psalm is probably written after the exile. Um, in 722 B.C., the Assyrians came in and they took the northern ten tribes off into exile. And then in 586 B.C., the southern tribes were carried off into exile by the Babylonians. And then 70 years later, just as God had foretold through the prophets, the nation was brought back. And one of the things they did after they, brought back, after they were brought back was give praise to God for restoring them as a nation. Because historically, that just doesn't happen. That nations get carted off into exile and two generations go by and all of a sudden there's still a nation at the end. Uh, and so they're going to recount their whole history and they're going to start back at creation. And they're going to go all the way through the exile and recounting phrase by phrase the the love and the steadfast faithfulness of God. So, verse 4, to him who alone does great wonders. In other words, is there anybody in the, in the universe that can do a miracle? Yes. God alone can do a miracle. He can do whatever he wants. And then they're going to recount some of his great wonders. Who by his understanding made the heavens... How did we get the stars and the atmosphere and the sun and the moons? How did we get all that stuff? Well, the answer right here, verse 4, God made it. Or verse 5, uh, who by his understanding made the heavens. You know that there are stars out there that are 25,000 times bigger than our sun. And that our sun would contain, if we, if we could get close enough to it to actually try the experiment, 25,000 of our earth. 
that there are literally billions of stars and billions of galaxies in our universe. And you know who made them all? God. You know that he has each of them named. I can't keep track of my children by name all the time. John, Nathan, what, what's your name, child? <laughs> Don't lie to me either. I'll find out who you are. <laughs> okay? I mean, but God is smart enough that he not only made this stuff, by his understanding, he keeps track of it all. And he keeps it all going in perfect orbits so that we can do things like we did, you know, with the moonshot. How did, how did that happen? Well, because the universe is set up like a giant clock. And so you can know exactly where the moon is going to be when you get there with the rocket. Who did that? God did that. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. In other words, who put the dirt on this planet so we could live here? God did. Who made the great lights? The great lights, biblically, are the sun in the daytime and the moon at night. Who made those? God did. The sun to govern the day, the moon and stars to govern the night. And by the way, this is something you may not be aware of, but everything in this pl on this planet is set up specifically so that you and I can exist here. The tilt of the earth is at a specific number of degrees. I believe it's 23 and a half degrees. And it spins in such a way at just such a speed. And it's just at such a distance from the sun so that we neither freeze to death nor burn up. That most of the time, it's actually pretty hospitable living on this planet, right? Of course, we live on a fallen planet now as fallen people. But even then, consider that, you know, God made all of the trees, and he's made thousands of species of trees. He didn't just make, okay, well, time to make trees. I guess I'll make one, and then replicate it about 8 billion times, you know. No, God made all kinds of different trees. God made thousands of flowers. God made thousands of different kinds of animals, millions of different kinds of insects, all kinds of fish and whales and dolphins and all this stuff. Who appreciates all that diversity? Well, God, probably the angels, and us. You know? I mean, th does a raccoon care that there are 17 kinds of mice that live in his woods? No. He just wants to find the next one to eat. <laughs> right? But we categorize and study all this stuff. Why? Well, because God made it for us to enjoy. Have you ever thought about the fact that, that you, ha that you uh, fairly uniquely uh, among the animals of the animal kingdom have receptors in your eyes to see color? You ever thought about that? Most animals uh, don't see color the way that we do. And yet you can see purple and green and red and shades of various things, some of us, right? <laughs> uh, some of us get dressed in the dark, or at least appear to, right? Um, um, how, why is that? Well, because God has made it that way for us to enjoy and to be perfectly crafted for our system to exist on this planet. 
we are, so far as we are able to discern, the only inhabited planet in the universe. Out of a universe with billions of stars and billions of galaxies, there's one little inhabited planet, ours. Who did that? God did. His love endures forever. Then he goes beyond creation and he says this, To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. This is a reference to the tenth plague. The tenth plague was the death of the firstborn. And this was significant because the Pharaoh himself was regarded as the son of the sun god and his son was regarded also as divine. And so in killing the firstborn son of Egypt, what God is doing is saying, I am supreme above Ra, whom you worship as God. And I am supreme above Pharaoh. And I am supreme above his son. Because my son is in captivity, Israel. And so he struck down the firstborn sons of Egypt on one night. All the firstborn sons died. Why did God do that? Because his love for Israel, his people, endures forever. And he said, I will take them out of slavery in Egypt with my outstretched arm and my mighty hand. And Pharaoh, you are going to let them go. And Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? And God said, you don't want me to show you, son, but I will. Okay? Uh, who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them. That same night that the firstborn died, guess what Pharaoh said? I'm convinced. Get out of here. And the people left freely under their own power. Who did that? God. Because his love for his people endures forever. He even took with them, by the way, some of the Egyptians who believed in God based on the plagues and, and the demonstrated power of God and how he protected the people of Israel from the people of Egypt and made a distinction between them. They said, you know what, I don't know if this whole uh, Egyptian God thing is working out. I think I want to follow one that actually is powerful and that loves his people. So I'm going to go with them. And so part of them did. Brought them out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Did God demonstrate power in the plagues? Yeah, baby. <laughs> you can say that in lights. He did. He turned the, ri the river Nile to blood. He brought forth frogs and gnats and flies and anthrax <laughs> and all kinds of stuff on the people of Egypt to convince them that their gods were powerless, that he was powerful, and that Israel was his people that they better let out of slavery. God took them out by his power. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder. Who does that? I mean, can you get a big enough fan that you can somehow part the waters of the ocean and say, uh, you know, all 600,000 of you people just, you know, kind of cruise across there, and I promise the water won't close over you until you're all through. God split the water of the Red Sea, and the people walked through on the bottom. And then when they were all through, Pharaoh and his army is coming after them. They've got mountains on either side, the Red Sea in front of them, and here comes Pharaoh's army, and they're pinned. And so they've got to go through the water, and God takes them through. And as soon as the last Israelite comes through, here comes the army, the water comes together, Pharaoh's army is drowned. 
And that did two things. Number one, it convinced Pharaoh not to renege on his deals he makes with God. That's A. And B, it, it destroyed the, the world-dominating power of the Egyptian military for several generations. Such that Israel, while they're wandering in the desert, has peace. And when they take the land under Joshua, they still have peace. And the superpower has been cut down so that they can establish the kingdom on their own under David and Solomon. And it's only after David and Solomon that Egypt regains and becomes a world power again. How did that happen? Well, God did that because his love for Israel remains forever. He swept Pharaoh and his army into the sea to him who led his people through the desert. Verse 16. How did that happen? This is the neatest. I mean, well, there's, I need to come up with a different adjective. This is really cool how God did this. Um, imagine this. You're in the desert. What do you need during the daytime? It's hot. You need shade. So what did God do? He put a cloud over these people that followed them around, kind of this low-hanging deal. To give them shade. It's 120 degrees in the Sinai Desert. And God has given them movable shade over all of them. And at night, it gets cold. And it's dark. So what do you need? Light and heat. So what does God do? He provides a column of fire at night. And he and the people followed that cloud. And they followed the fire. And he led them through the desert for 40 years until they were ready to enter the land. And he provided manna from heaven every morning except for the morning of the Sabbath. Because the day before they were supposed to collect twice as much and it would last them through. And if they collected too much on any other day, it rotted and got wormy and gross. But on the day before the Sabbath, it, they could keep it overnight and it wouldn't rot. And the Bible says that their clothes didn't wear out, that they didn't even get sick. But a whole lot of them died in the desert because they didn't trust God to be faithful. Caleb and Joshua went in with their families. And God led these people through the desert. He provided water for them miraculously several times. He took them all the way through and they were Perfectly protected, as long as they obeyed God, because his love endures forever. Now, verse uh, 17 takes us up to the time of the conquest, and this actually happened on the, on the east side of the Jordan. It says, to him who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings, verse 18, and then it's going to give you their names, Sihon king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan. Now, these two kings are on the east side of the Jordan River in um, what is now the country of Jordan. But, uh, and it was, supposed to never, it was never supposed to be Israelite territory, but they're there on the plains of Moab. Uh, Moses is standing on Mount Nebo. He, he sees the land, and these people attack uh, Og, king of Bashan, and Sihon, king of the Amorites. These are essentially Canaanite tribes who are on the other side of the Jordan. Um, and they attack Israel. And Israel goes to war, and they whip these guys. 
and they take their land. And God says, you know what? This was not supposed to be part of the promised land originally, but because they attacked you, I'm giving it to you. And it became the tribal inheritance of Reuben and Gad and part of the, tr the tribal inheritance of Manasseh also. They also had land on the other side as well. But these tribes uh, got their inheritance on the east side of the Jordan. How did that happen? God conquered these kings. They had armies. These people had never been anything but shepherds their whole life. And when these armies come in, somehow they wind up victorious because God's love endures forever for his people. And he gave their land as an inheritance, verse 21. He gave it to Reuben and Gad and Manasseh. God gave that to them. Because his love endures forever. An inheritance to his servant Israel. Uh, verse 23. I think this is a reference to the exile. To the one who remembered us in our low estate. They were virtual slaves. In exile. Out of their land. Away from God. Away from the temple. The temple's been destroyed. They're subject people under a foreign king. And God remembered them. And 70 years after the temple and the nation were destroyed, they went back to the land. Because God might judge, but his love endures forever. And he protected those people and brought them back. He brought back a remnant of those who were his. His love endures forever. He freed us from our enemies. They were subject to the Babylonians and the Assyrians. And God set them free. And gave them a nation again. Who gives food to every creature. This is a verse that's, that's, that's pretty interesting. You know, it just, that just makes note of the fact that that. Even apart from his people, God's love extends to every creature on earth. You know, Jesus said, consider the sparrows. Are not two of them sold in a marketplace for a penny? And yet not one of them falls to the ground except apart from your father. And he says, consider the birds of the air. Uh, they don't labor, they don't spin. Your heavenly Father feeds them, right? That God's love extends even beyond his people to even just the creatures of the earth who are fed by the Lord because his love endures forever. And so verse 26, this, we get this concluding call to praise here. Give thanks to the God of heaven because his love endures forever that God has been faithful and steadfast and loving through all of their history and so therefore give him thanks for his steadfast love now I want to do something a little different this morning um, by way of application with you um, Believe it or not, the same God 
who was steadfast and faithful to his old covenant people, has been steadfast and faithful to you and to me, and will be steadfast and faithful to every believer in Jesus Christ through all generations, throughout all eternity, forever and ever. Amen. And so what I'd like to do is um, have a little audience participation this morning. Uh, If you'd all please stand. I'm going to recount some of the highlights of the history of Chillicothe Bible Church. And we're going to remind ourselves that his love endures forever. Okay? Uh, And I'm going to read the statement and then say with me, his love endures forever. Okay? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Father who sent his Son to be our Savior. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Son who sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us and empower us for ministry. His love endures forever. To him who founded Chillicothe Bible Church in 1962, his love endures forever. To him who provided us with our first building at 4th and Pine Street, his love endures forever. To him who led us to join the Evangelical Free Church in 1973, his love endures forever. To him who provided each of our seven pastors, his love endures forever. To him who gave us this building in 1985 and gives us still to this day the resources to use it for ministry. His love endures forever. To him who was faithful to us and loved us through weddings and births, along with divorces, sickness, and death, his love endures forever. To him who gave us the message of the gospel and empowered us to share it with thousands of people over 47 years, his love endures forever. To him who founded the Crossword Cafe and provided resources and help for dozens of missionaries in the U.S. and around the world. His love endures forever. To him who carried us gently through painful conflict, his love endures forever. To him who gave us ministries to men and to women, to children, to youth, to rich and poor, single, married, and widowed, his love endures forever. To him who always loves us even when we sin, his love endures forever. To him who will return to claim us on the great day of the Lord when the voice of the archangel shouts and the last trumpet blows, his love endures forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.